We are in 1 Chronicles chapter 14. 1 Chronicles chapter 14. You know, it's such a, a blessing to be teaching the Word of God. It's an amazing privilege to open up the Word of God and allow God to pour into me so that I may pour it out to you. And uh, I do love this story as much as any story in the Bible. In First Chronicles 14, what a blessing it is to be able to to share. I don't know what I wouldn't would do if I wasn't able to share what the Lord gives me from the Word of God. I was listening to a biography of George Whitfield, and um, he was a, a famous evangelist who went up and down the coast in the United States. I think he did it seven times. I think he's more responsible than any other human being for what the United States became. There's a tremendous revival called the First Great Awakening under George Whitfield. And he said, I just want to die preaching. That's like, that's like me. I want to just die preaching. It's just so good to be able to share the Word of God. He actually, he was an Englishman. He died up in Newburyport. He had just spoken in New Hampshire. His last sermon was in Second Corinthians, last chapter, examine yourself to see whether you would be in the faith. But he began each sermon by saying, I want to talk with you today about your soul. That's how he began each time he spoke. He was an amazing man of God. I, I'm trying to convince these great, greatly of the Lord. But let's pray. First Chronicles chapter 14, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Father, I just thank you and see you, as that song just said, that we'd be able to see you in your word today, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, and in that song so that we can see you. In Jesus' name I pray. So the last time we were in First Chronicles, we read about David, who for the first time became king over all Israel. He had been anointed king by the prophet Samuel's at the time he was anointed king over all Israel, he had been anointed probably 15 to 20 years before by the prophet Samuel. And the Lord often does give us that word for our life. And, but it doesn't come to fruition sometimes for a number of years. That's why the Bible so often says, wait upon the Lord. And he... He actually, David frequently says that, and he was a man who knew firsthand knowledge to wait upon the Lord for him to accomplish the fullness of what he has said he's going to do in your life. Wait upon him. Psalm 25, 3 says, Indeed, no one who waits on the Lord will be put to shame. And so he was made king over all Israel. The first thing he did in chapter 13 was... Uh, 
attempt to take the ark of God up to Jerusalem, but he did it in the wrong way. He didn't follow the instructions that were laid out in the Bible, very specifically, for the priests to be carrying the ark of God on their shoulders. And so a tremendous party that they were having, a tremendous procession, uh, was brought to an abrupt halt. And the ark of God, it says, went to the house of Obed-Edom in chapter 13, verse 14, verse 14 and says, the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. And so it also says in verse 12 that, um, verse 11 and 12, that David was just angry about the whole incident. And he was also fearful of the whole incident. We're going we're to read tonight. If we get there, God willing, chapter 15, he's going to consult the Bible this time as to how to properly carry the Ark of the Covenant. And so then he's going to have a party, and God's not going to bring the party to an abrupt um, halt. But chapter 14 begins, it says, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, Tyre was a nation to the north of Israel, modern-day Lebanon, sent messengers to David over Israel. So when you have a neighboring king, find out that you are, have been made king, and the neighboring king shows up at your door as messengers, hey, you know, I know that you're the, you're the new king. Can I build you a house? Uh, I tell you, that's a good feeling. It's a confirmation by the Lord that uh, you're walking in the fullness of who he's called you to be. And that's what it says of David. It says, the Lord established him as king over Israel, for his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. Something that, or the uh, the head of a ministry has done something and, and tremendous success Results. I don't know, a church becomes full, moves to two or three services or whatever, a ministry becomes great and the finances come pouring in is oftentimes just like, look, look what the Lord has done for my sake. Look at, look at what the Lord has done for me. But here it says that David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel for the sake of his people Israel. Can you imagine how much more power the body of Christ would have if all the pastors, including myself, when you get to a place where God is prospering your ministry and you realize he's done this, not for me, but he's done this for the people who I'm shepherding. He's done this for the sake of the people. They need to hear the word of God. They need to be... You know, we read in the Bible that God, rather that David was a man after God's own heart. And you read that, I remember reading that for the first time, actually for years. Like, what, 
what does that even mean? <laughs> a man after God's own heart. Well, among other things, here you have it. It's a man or a woman who, whatever's going on in their life, they understand it's going on for the sake of the people around them. It's a wonderful picture of David there. Verse 3, then David took more wine. My heart sore. That's not S-O-R-E. That's S-O-A-R, like an eagle. To something that makes my heart greatly grieve. It says he took more wives. This week, I tell you, I hope every single one of you is in the Word of God every day. And this week, the Lord um, spoke to me in my quiet time, my devotion time. I had never fully understood the second temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Not in its fullness, I hadn't. There's always something that bothered me. I'm missing something here. And I think the Lord just poured into my heart this week. Matthew chapter 4 is about the temptation of Jesus Christ. Right after he was baptized, it says that the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the Lord does that with you, by the way, to test you. And he tempted him. His first temptation was, if you are the Son of God, command these stones come to bread. Jesus answered and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The second temptation is verses 5 through 7. It says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourselves down, for it is written, He shall give his angels char charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And I'd never full gotten the fullness of... Of this it says it is written you shall not tempt the Lord your God now I've always had an understanding of that verse you shall not tempt the Lord your God meaning you shall not tempt God to to punish you to chasten you to discipline you which is what we do when we we go into sin I think that which is exactly what David did God has exalted him in all Israel. And there's a tendency when you know that the hand of God is clearly on your life to venture into some area which is, I don't know about that, but that man, that woman, they're anointed. The rest of Israel is not going to look at David multiplying wives and they're going, oh, yeah, well, he's the king. And look, He's multiplying wives. That's what, that's what men do. But it was specifically against the law of God. It's just like, you're the son of God. Throw yourself down. Someone will catch you. I mean, you're the anointed, David. You can do this. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that um, 
Verse 22, it says that uh, then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And think about how absurd that is after a man starts going from one wife to two wives. Hey, wait, wait, now, now you're coming one flesh with her and one flesh with her? I, I don't really, what is this? But David took actually many wives in Jerusalem. It was a terrible example to his son who took hundreds of wives and destroyed his life because of David's bad example. David was going to bring in a, a tremendous amount of misery into his life because of this habit of multiplying women. And it says in Deuteronomy, couldn't be any clearer, in Deuteronomy 17.17 17, it says a man a king should not multiply wives. <laughs> People say, well, you know, it doesn't anointed one. And so that's what happens in our lives when we know things are going real well, that God's hand is clearly on us. Well, surely I can go into this gray area. Because God's hand is upon me. I'm dealing with a situation now involving a Christian who God is clearly, clearly blessed this Christian's ministry. But he's been operating in, in a gray area now for, for, for really for years. And he's tempting God. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Jesus told Satan. He was quoting Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verse 16. So he multiplies wise, and oh, is there going to be misery there? And by the way, um, there's, a, there's this thinking that, well, you know, I, there's, a, there's a, a, a twisted demonic logic that sometimes people sometimes men in particular follow that, well, you know, if I can, I'm, I'm in this pornography right now, and, but if I get married, then I'm going to satisfy that pornography problem, and I won't be in pornography anymore because I'll be sexually satisfied within marriage. It, it, the, actually, it's the, precisely the opposite. You're so used to going from woman to woman to woman to woman in the porn site, you get married, and you, you find you're addicted to multiple women. <laughs> and it's the same thing with David. He was going from woman to woman to woman, and, and just follow the Lord, uh, the, 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 the word of the Lord. It says that he begot more sons and daughters, verse 4, and these are the names of his children whom he had in Jerusalem, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon. Nathan, by the way, was the... The uh, line of the Messiah went not through Solomon, but through Nathan, down to, to Mary. See that in the book of Luke, I believe. Verse 5, Ibhar, Elishua, Elpalet, Noga, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishima, Beliada, and Elephalet. 
Verse 8, now when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went out against them. So um, here you see that uh, David has finally been made king. He's been anointed king over all Israel. The Lord is doing a great thing in his life. And what happens? The enemy comes up against him. This particular enemy, the Philistines, they are a type of Satan in the Bible. When Jesus calls devil Beelzebub, that Beelzebub was a god of the Philistines. And so this is what happens when you are established by God or when you're being used by God or, 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 or when you, uh, even when you become born again or when you start operating um, your giftings, the Philistines will come up against you. It's going to happen. Do not be surprised. We live in a spiritual world. Satan, the whole world is under the sway of, of the devil, it says in 1 John chapter 5. Why is Satan going to be okay if you start operating in your giftings? He's not going to be okay with that. You are literally stirring up the, the, a, a spiritual world. You're stirring up a demonic world, and, and, and Satan's going to come up against you. So what do you do when that happens in your life? Verse 10, David inquired of God. David inquired, this is what you do. You pray. You get on your face and you pray to the Lord. Now we saw earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 27, which was a time that David had, had freaked out. He had he had become full of fear and he, he left Israel before he was king and he went to the land of the Philistines and he got himself into a whole lot of trouble. Never once did you see him praying to the Lord during that time period. But here, the first thing that he does, he inquires of God. Why is he inquiring of God? When you're a king... And your nation is defeated, obviously you need to go out to war. Doesn't matter. You need to inquire of God. Why is he inquiring of God? Someone can send me an email if I'm wrong, or Freddie will just shout it out if I'm wrong. But have we ever seen David lose a battle up to this point? He's won every single battle. Why does he have to go and ask God? He's never lost before. He's defeated the Philistines repeatedly. Why does he have to ask God? Doesn't matter how obvious. If there's some big thing before you, or some small thing, you go to inquire of the Lord. God, it, it, it appears that I'm supposed to fight here. But guess what? Calvary Chapel. Good ideas are not always 
God's ideas. And so um, it was important here just to see. This is, this is just so wonderful. This guy, we'll see it in the next chapter. He tries again to bring up the ark of God to Jerusalem, and he is successful this time. Not for his own sake, but for the sake of his people. And the guy is praying. He had learned how to pray for years and years, starting when he was a young man, a boy, a shepherd by himself. And you see, this is, this is just part of, of who he had become. Uh, he did have a backslide there in 1 Samuel 27. But, but here he is. This is the, we want to know what a man after God's own heart, what that means. It means someone who understands that the only reason they're in the position they are is because of the people around them, or the main reason. It's a man who inquires of God, even in the face of the obvious. It's a man who, the first thing he does when he becomes king, it's not to build fortresses, not to build his army, it's not to mobilize the court system, the financial system, no, it's to bring up the ark of God to Jerusalem. He's already, that's the first thing he did. We saw that in chapter um, 13, we're going uh, to see him do it again in chapter 15. And David inquired of God, verse 10, saying, Shall I go up to against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. So they went up to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. Then David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. That's why this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because this is what God does. He breaks, he breaks through your enemies, through your life, like a breakthrough of water. Think about a big dam. You know, there is a break in it, and the water comes out, and then it gets bigger, and then the whole, it just crashes through. That's how God does. He's, 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 he breaks through like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim, which means master of breakthroughs. And that is what the Lord is. That is who he is. That's one of his names. When your enemies are up against you, when you're in a relationship that seems impossible, when you are in a job situation that's impossible or, or a trial or, or in ministry, you're just facing an enemy, He's the master of breakthroughs. He is Baal Perazim. David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. I pray for each and every one of you here. 
that even as you're imitating the life of David by the power of the Son of David, you're going to the Lord and you're praying to him in the face of whatever it is that the Lord has put in your life, that you will see God breaking through like a breakthrough of water. I can assure you of this. God wants to do this in your life. But it really is up to you of whether you're going to give God that place. And it starts with prayer. But this is, my favorite story in the Bible hasn't ended yet. It says, and when they left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were burned with fire. So this is really, really sad, actually. They carry their gods into Bible and rather into battle. And, and when they ran off, when they fleed the Israelite army, they just threw their god to the side. When David gathered them up, he sold them on eBay for millions of dollars. No, he didn't. The Lord went when he was doing that. Verse 13, then the Philistines once again made a raid on the valley. Don't think because you've had some victory over the devil that the devil's not going to come right back. Here he is. He's coming right back. This is what the devil does. And I say this all the time, but in screw tape letters, which is a C.S. Lewis soliloquy, is that what you, no, no, that's not what it is actually. There's, there, there's, there's multiple characters, and there's demons, there's demons talking to each other in, in this C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. And, and one of the demons says to the other, I, I know how to get the Christians. You want to get the Christians? You want to keep them in a place of discouragement and unfruitfulness? Just convince them that there's just one more trial. And then after that trial, there'll be no more trials. And that's what the devil tries to do with us. He tries to convince us that there's just going to be one more trial, and after that, it's going to be smooth sailing for the rest of your life. Actually, it's going to be more and more difficult for the rest of your life. Some of the greatest men of God that I, I know, and I think of Chuck Smith, I mean, there were more flaming arrows coming his way in the last two or three years of his life than any other period of his life. God's never promised that things will get easier. Don't expect heaven, the side of heaven. Just expect war with God with you every step of the way, giving you a joy, giving you a gladness. Psalm 32 says, Rejoice, all you righteous, be glad in your heart, all you who are upright. And, um, but there's going to be trials. It's going to be hard. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. It says in verse 14, Therefore David inquired again of God. Again. I'll repeat what I've already reiterated. Just because 
something seems obvious, doesn't mean you don't pray about it. That's just what the devil, you know, I, I, that's just what he wants you to do, not pray about the obvious. I'm, I, I'm in Matthew twa- chapter, we are in Matthew chapter 24 on, not Matthew 24, Mark 13, Matthew 24 and Matthew 13, they're parallel accounts of when Jesus is speaking again about his second coming and towards the end of it, he basically tells, he, not he basically, he does tell his people three times, watch. Watch and pray. But that word watch is used three times. I believe, personally, it's speaking about watch before the day of the Lord, meaning before the rapture of the Lord. Watch. Meaning, it's, it's different than pray. He does say once, watch and pray, but then he uses the word watch three times. It's like, don't, the devil's going to trick you. Lord, I know it seems obvious, but what do you want me to do here? And so he went to the Lord, and David inquired of him again. And, and again, what does he inquire? Do I go up against the Philistines? And what does the Lord tell him? No. See, the Lord wants us just always, always opening up our ears to what he wants us to do. There's no formula. I can't tell you how important this is, particularly for, you know, among other things, for parents. There is no parenting book other than this that you can go to and figure out a formula of how to raise kids because, you know, my wife said it the other day, our kids all look like each other, all five of them, but neither of them are like each other, meaning they have completely different personalities. I, I don't know at what, I was thinking, at what, at what number of kids did like some kids, like one kid become similar to another kid? I don't know, maybe it's like 15, like kid number 13 is kind of like kid number four. What, what, what parenting Sam was very, very different than parenting Grace. or Adlai, or Lise, or, or Faith. And why, why does the Lord do things like that, among many other things? But parenting and everything else, including ministry, including evangelism, by the way, just really so thankful for Mary Wamboo and her leadership and starting up evangelism training again last Saturday. But every person you approach is like different. One person, you know, they may try to physically assault you. The next person uh, will start weeping uh, and say more, more, more. There's just no person is the same. No situation is the same. God always wants us dependent upon him. You know, having a standard way of, of order of doing things on during a service is the wrong thing, but we always have to be willing. Lord, whatever it is, whatever you want us to do. So what does it say here? David inquired again of God, and God said to him, you shall not go up after them, circle around them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be, when you hear a sound of marching in the tops of the tree, mulberry, mulberry trees, then you shall go out to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. Isn't, isn't it great that it really, all our battles is really about God preceding us 
and doing the victory before we even get there. And that's what it says here. It says that the, uh, then you shall, uh, rather, God has gone up before you, end of verse 15, to strike the camp of the Philistines. Verse 16, so David did as God commanded him, and they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeon as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David went out into all the land, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Chapter 15, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So remember in chapter 13, he tried to bring the ark of God up to Jerusalem. Uh, he, He brought it up on an ox cart made by followers of Satan, the Philistines, He had gotten this idea from the world of how to bring it up, of how to worship. And uh, this time it says that, um, uh, this time he's going to do it quite differently um, because the first time the Lord, wow, did he uh, throw a wet blanket on the celebration. Verse 2, then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, and that is right out of the Mosaic law. Only the Levites are supposed to carry it. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And so uh, remember that what we said last time uh, about, uh, remember what we said uh, last time about the, what it represented, the picture of the priest carrying the ark on their shoulders, meaning they had poles on their shoulders, and the poles went between rings on the side of the ark, and it's such an important picture. This is how God moves throughout the world. He moves throughout the world because you're carrying him. You're carrying him into your family. You're carrying him into your neighborhood. You're carrying him into your work. You're carrying him into church. Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so this was such an important picture. It's just like one of the reasons I plead with people, don't get divorced. Because your life, your life, your marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church. And you don't want those two to rip apart regardless of of what has happened. And here, this is another picture. This is a picture of, uh, of really the new covenant that Jesus would bring where you become the temple of the holy place which he had prepared for it. It says all Israel. Now, first, the first time he brought the ark, tried to bring the ark of God up to Jerusalem. Um, anyone remember how many were there? Anyone want to shout it out? Any of you Bible scholars want to shout out? 30,000. And so David says, you know, I went up with 30,000 people and I made a complete fool out of myself because remember Uzzah, the, 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 the oxen stumbled, the Ark of the God was going to fall, he touched the um, Ark of the Covenant and he was struck out, struck by the Lord, dead. He said, man, I don't want to have... I don't want that to happen again. I think this time I'll, you know, I'll invite like 
Rather than 30,000, I'll invite 30. No, he doesn't. It says all Israel. He invited more. I tell you, when we fail and every single not walk fully in faith again in spite of your failure. I was at a graduation this weekend at a Christian school, Liberty. My daughter Grace graduated, and the keynote speaker, this is what he talked about. He goes, your failures, failure and success, they go hand in hand. And it was amazing because I think two additional, we went to three or something like three different ceremonies or whatever, and um, each of them we heard over and over this, this concept of your failure is so important for your success because you learn through your failures. But the last thing you want to do when you fail is like, man, I, I don't want to go and try again because what's everyone going to think? That's not living by faith. On your face. It's important to get up and move forward again. Why? I don't want to try this. You know, I, I backslid and I don't want to try this Christian thing again. I mean, after all, look, you know, what if my family sees me fail again? And, you know, it doesn't matter. You get up and you, you do what you know that the Lord has called you to do. It says in verse 3, David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. Remember, it was the Levites who were to be the only ones, really, who had anything to do with the, with the, uh, with the tabernacle and the, um, and the Ark of the Covenant. So he's really, the, he had done his homework here about the correct way to be transporting the Ark. He assembled the Levites of the sons of Kohath, Uriel, the chief, and 120 of his brethren, of the sons of Merari, Isaiah, the chief, and 220 of his brethren, of the sons of Gershom, Joel, the chief, and 130 of his brethren. So those are the three sons of Levi, Kohath, Merari, and Gershom. So the, the Levites... are given their proper place here in transporting the ark. Of the sons of Elizaphan, Shemaiah the priest, rather, Shemaiah the chief, and 200 of his brethren. Of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, and, the eight, and 80 of his brethren. Of the sons of Uziel, Aminadab the chief, and 112 of his brethren. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. 
you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Notice how he says we. So he doesn't say because you didn't consult him. He said, we didn't consult him. We didn't go to God. And look what happened. A party of 30,000 people, the Lord threw a wet blanket on it by striking a man dead. Because we didn't consult God. And again, David is called a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? We've been talking about that tonight. It means a man who understands that when he's exalted, he's not exalted for his sake. He's exalted for the sake of the people around him. It means a man who, um, when, he's, when he has a big trial or a big uh, issue before him, the first thing he does is he consults the Lord. It, it, but it also means this, public confession Just, I guess to sing, that's what a psalm means, to sing. And it's the, a psalm where he confesses his sin with Bathsheba. Against you and you alone, Lord, humble and contrite heart you will not despise. <laughs> and that is a man who's after God's own heart when, you know, not, you know what, what, what happens when a leader fails today? So oftentimes you, you, you see a spin attempt to try to, and I'm talking about leaders in the church, as well as outside, but in the church, try to spin it in such a way that, you know, it tries to, it tries, it tries to make him look good or her look good, but he doesn't. He said, we did not ask God the right way to do things. Verse 14, so the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves and, and, and brought up the ark of the Lord God of Israel and the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulder by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Exodus 25 verse 14, if you don't have that footnote. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. Notice here it says that David, first of all, this again, Here's yet something else we learn about David. Why was he a man after God's own heart? Because he loved to worship the Lord with song. Music is a spiritual thing. <laughs> it's a spiritual thing. And that's why I personally choose not to have any secular music in my home. And, and it's not a law. But, but I, I, I just... I know what it does to the human heart. I was so entrenched in the worst rock bands imaginable of the late 70s. And I know what it, how it destroyed my soul. Because the reason it did, because music is spiritual. And I'm not going to let it happen to my own kids. 
Now, we can't be legalistic about it, and I tell my kids like a broken record. It doesn't mean this is a law or all secular music is bad. By, but, 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 you know, David, who understood the principle that music is a spiritual thing, singing is something spiritual. It does something to the human soul. That's why um, music does such damage to, to youth and, and everyone. If it's not focused on the Lord, it's because it is a spiritual thing. It does something to your soul. And, and it was such a huge priority to him. But notice there, it says, the, it says singers accompanied by instruments of music. It's not the other way around. The most important thing about worship is the words or are the words. Or is it is the words? Where's my, my, my wife? She's not here tonight. Is? You said are. The most important thing about worship are the words, is the words. I, I don't know. <laughs> T- Tiffany versus Nicole. But <laughs> I don't know. I, we'll find out later. But, 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 but of God to see how are we supposed to do music? We're not supposed to do music by getting the most incredible guitarist out there, the incredible keyboard player, even though we had him today, um, and, 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 and the incredible musicians, and, and, and you know that's really the focus of the worship. And then the words, well, as long as we really like the tune and the music, whatever the words are, you know, uh, whatever. No, it's the other way around. Over the years that we have had to, um, you know, we've had to not say, no, we're not going to sing this worship song because the, the music is, I mean, the lyrics, though, are, they, they don't, they're, not, they're not right. I mean, it's a great tune, but the lyrics are a problem. One time, that, that, um, that song, Lord Light the Fire Again, Lord Light the Fire Again, anyone here know that? Especially... Yeah, I guess I'm not singing it very good. <laughs> but in the middle of that song, um, the Lord light the fire again, it says, it has the people singing, clothe me in white. They're asking God to clothe them in white. Anyone, have, anyone see a problem with that? In white, we're blameless before him in love. And so Pastor Greg wrote to the writers of the song, hey, just... Wanted to make sure and get your permission here. Uh, we're changing uh, clothe me in white to I'm clothed in white. So we, I, I can't remember if they, I think they responded and they, uh, they, they, they certainly didn't respond no. I think they, they, we did that with several songs. I think that was one of the times that they wrote back, said, yeah, we understand, do it. Which I appreciated, by the way, you know, that was a misstep on their part, and, and we need to be gracious about it. But it says that he appointed singers accompanied by instruments of music. And it says, and they raised their voice with resounding joy. So Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and the brethren, Asaph, the son of Berechiah. Asaph, as some of you know, wrote different psalms. And of their brethren, the sons of Merari, Ethan, the son of... Kushaya, and then they list off a whole bunch of names, skillful. Now, 
10 chapters from now in, in Chronicles 25, 7, and 8, not only uh, does it say that the leaders were skillful, it says that, um, um, it, it, it says there, all the brethren who were instructed to, to sing were skillful. And so from time to time, people ask us why we have a tryout to be on the worship team. That doesn't seem very Christian, which is understandable. I mean, because at the end of the day, the Lord delights in our worship regardless of what our voice sounds like. But when you get up in people and your voice is like completely off, that's a problem because people are not going to be able to worship. They're just going to listen to your off voice. Now, I don't want to discourage any of you from trying out for the worship team. Please do. But it is important that we're focused on the Lord. And so for that reason, we have tried. Now, if, we, if you have a 200-person choir, it's like, hey, man, join the choir. It doesn't matter what your voice sounds like. It'll be, your voice will be drowned out if it's bad. But we do not want to be a distraction. I mean, it, when we're playing the, the guitar or the, or the keyboard or something else, to the worship of the Lord. And so for that reason, uh, the leader was skillful, but all the singers had skill, it says. And then in verse 26, it says, and so it was, well, sorry, left out. A very, very important verse. So David, verse 25, David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. So that's just a wonderful thing when you know you're being helped by God. And that happens, by the way. You're in a ministry and then you realize, wow, the Lord is just carrying me here. This is incredible. It says in verse 27, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, and the Chenaniah, the, the music master with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with trumpets of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps and it happened as the Lord as the ark of the covenant verse 29 of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music and she despised him in her heart I tell you, every time I read this, I just, my heart sinks. And we know from 2 Samuel that when he got home that day, she mocked him. You know, in fairness to Michael, and don't throw, don't throw eggs or oranges at me right now. In fairness to Michael? What are you, crazy? Listen, in fairness to Michael, when you don't have the life of God in you, you know, she had, 
I'm convinced she did not have the life of God in her. And, and think about who, did everyone know who Michael was? She was Saul's daughter. And so what Saul was obsessed about his whole life was just, remember when he was pleading with Samuel to come and pray with him before the people, even after he sinned. And it says, I, I, in the eyes of the people, I have to be respected. I have to be honored. And, and he was just obsessed with the honor of people. And the thought of going before all the people and dancing and singing before the Lord. What? I got to make a fool out of myself. Parents have David said to Michael, what did he say? Vineyard actually sang a song. I will do things more un undignified than this. <laughs> and Vineyard made a song out of that. Parents, your, your kids need to see you. Not, not be weird, because that's a whole other sermon for another day. When, when you're weird, your kids will rebel. I've seen that before. When they grow up in crazy, hyper-charismatic weirdness, as soon as they get the chance, they're going to run from the church. But they do need to see that you're willing to get on your knees and honor the Lord. And so really, another lesson here is that it, 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 chapter 16, verse 1, So they brought the ark of, the, of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. But, you know, again, I, I, I think the theme for tonight is when you are, are being used by the Lord or start operating in your gifts, Satan's going to show up. This is probably, may have been, the most glorious day of David's life. And what does he do? The day does not end before someone, Satan, tries to throw a wet blanket on the whole day. That's going to happen to you. <laughs> Again, you stir up the devil, the devil's going to kapoosh you. 